Well, praise the Lord. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for those who are tuning in by live stream, hoping you're hearing everything. I tell you, what a job this choir did this morning. Amen. Oh, man. I was sitting here thinking, reminiscing. You do that when you get older. Uh, reminiscing. Hiring Aaron Perkins was probably the best $100 we ever spent. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we could go right on down the line, but well, thank you so much for the music. It is fun to get up and preach after you have good music, and we are blessed. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it's, it's great. It's great. Look, if you would, at Exodus chapter 3. We think this morning about the topic, Moses and the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3. Uh, and I do appreciate you being here this morning. We've already had two great services. I'm looking for God to do some great things this morning in this service also. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Father, thank you this morning. We've already been totally blessed. And Lord, I just pray this morning, people would not see me, they would not hear my voice, but oh God, would you come to them in their hearts as a burning bush. Lord, may they stop this morning, turn aside, and see what you're doing in their lives, what you're doing all around. Lord, we're asking you for the supernatural this morning. We're asking you to do miracles, to save souls, to touch people that need healing. Lord, to wake those up who are sleeping. God, be glorified in everything. You're everything, we're nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When I think about Moses, first thing I think about is Charlton Heston. Uh, but, but after I get through that, and when I think about Moses, I think about parting the Red Sea. I think about the plagues in Egypt, how they progressively got worse. I think about him striking the rock and the bitter water turning to sweet water. I think about the manna from heaven that came down and the people said, we've never seen this before. What is this? And this is God's supply. And incidentally, just throwing this in as a, I won't charge you for this, but God only gave them what they needed for that one day. You try to hoard it, you try to save it and put it up, worms that get to it. It's no good. If you'll by faith live for God today, he'll take care of you tomorrow. 
When I think of Moses, I think about leading God's people to the promised land. I think about him spending 40 years in Pharaoh's house while his countrymen were in slavery. I think about the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the law of Moses, uh, the law of God that he inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. When you think about Moses, whether people are saved or whether they're lost, whether they've ever been to church or not, makes any difference. It's irrelevant. They all know Moses. Everybody knows Moses. And so when you talk about Moses, what is it that gets us to where we can be on a journey like the journey of Moses? What is the beginning of it? What is the, the source of it there? And you have to come back to this burning bush. It all started with this bush. Now, there's nothing special about this bush. Any old bush should do. Amen? Nothing special about the bush. Uh, the bush is on fire. It's not consumed. The fire's not coming up from the bottom. The fire's not coming down from above. It's just on fire. Uh, and that is a phenomenon. That is supernatural. We understand that. But I want us to go a step further, and, and I don't think it's blasphemy. I, I, think, uh, I think I'm within the rights to do this. Uh, I don't think the important thing, <laughs> nor, uh, Wayne is out there grinning, but I, don't, I, I know that God is there. Amen? He's there. He's in that burning bush. It is not being consumed. I know Moses is there. But it could be that even though God's there and Moses is there and the bush is on fire, Moses could have walked off unchanged. You say, oh, no, 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 couldn't happen. Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. Happens all the time. We're in a church service here and the glory of God's all around and people walk right out of here like they did when they came in here. You see, the, the, the problem is not that God's not there. The problem is not that the bush is not on fire. The problem is not even that we're not here because we're here today. The key is in verse 3. Look at it. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burnt. You see, the thing, the thing we need this morning is is not to recognize the bush so much or to even recognize God so much because he's there and the bush is there. It's on fire. The glory of God is there. What we need this morning is for some people who are so busy in all of the things of this life to say, whoa, wait a minute. I'm going to turn aside and I'm going to look and see what God's doing. Mm. See, turning aside makes all the difference. The, the reason we're not where we ought to be with God is not because God left America. God hadn't left America. He's still here. God hadn't left Woodland Hills. He's still here. God hadn't left you. He's not left your home. He's not left your family. He's alive. He's active. He's moving. The need that we have today is not to see God moving, but to stop and turn aside and say, all right, God, what do you have for me? Now, one key thing here is important. Now, let me go ahead and tell you so that I won't forget it. You're just walking by, and he sees a bush. Amen? And it's, been, it's on fire. It's been, not being consumed. It's a, it's a supernatural thing. But it's not until Moses says, I will turn aside, that in the next verse, God says, Moses, Moses. See, he doesn't call us by name 
until we stop and turn aside. And that's when God can call us. <laughs> if we're just walking, whoo, that's a great church, church service, wonderful, everything's great. Whew, oh, the glory of God was there. But it ain't got my name on it. But when I stop and turn aside, God says, Charles, Charles, I've never seen the devil busier than he is today. That dude working 24-7. I mean, destroying homes and families. Everybody I talk to, every preacher I see talks about the devil moving, the battles are raging, spiritual warfare is at an all-time high. And, and, and you say, well, why is all that? I believe the devil knows that his time is short. And he's turned up the heat. And it's time that we either learn how to handle the heat or get out of the kitchen. We can talk about the devil. Boy, we can talk about political unrest. We can talk about border problems. We can talk about China. We, we can talk about Ezekiel and Daniel. There's some great discussion in prophecy if America's even listed in that thing. You say, well, what if we're not? Well, that would mean that we're not a country by then. Hmm. Oh, that'll never happen to America. No, I'm looking at a generation who fought for America, and you're saying that'll never happen to America. But brethren, we've got a generation today that won't fight for nothing unless it's some kind of transvestite or some kind of immorality. They'll fight for that. But I mean, we're sitting here. This church is sitting. I'm looking at people who have sat here, this church, and watched our country disintegrate in the last 30 years. Can you imagine what it's going to be like 10 years from now? I mean, we could talk about all that stuff. We could talk about riots. We could talk about COVID. We could talk about where to wear a mask or not wear a mask, where to get a shot or not get a shot. We could talk about economy. We could talk about education. We could talk about diseases. But I want to talk about God this morning. What an awesome God we serve. I want you to know he's real. He's alive today. He's still powerful. He's still uh, moving. He's still perfect. He's provisional. He's still promising us. He's still God. But listen, we're not going to change until we turn aside. Let me give you three things here quickly. It won't be quickly. I, that's why I was late. It's a, you just endure it. The Bible says in Matthew 10, 12, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So if you don't endure to the end, you got some real problem with your salvation. Amen? <laughs> Let me give you this first thing. There has to be a preparation. Have you noticed that everybody wants to see God? Nobody wants to prepare to meet him. Hmm? There's got to be some preparation time. God's not going to walk into your life in some unholy mess. You're wanting to see God. You're wanting to, to see the power of God. You've got to prepare to meet the power of God. Then verse 1, look at it with me quickly. Moses kept the flock. Look at that word kept. And then on down further, uh, he led, that's a word, led the flock to the backside of the desert. And then the third word, he came to the mountain of God. Now, all three of those words are verbs. But they're not just verbs. They're action verbs. They're action. You see, Moses was active. He was keeping. He was leading. He was coming. If you're not seeing God this morning, maybe it's because you're sitting on a bump on a log and not moving with God. Because I want to tell you, God's a moving God. He's alive. 
You, you're not going to get him to go to sleep in the pew. What, what you got to do, preacher? Get in your Bible. Let me just ask you some questions. Don't you dare answer them. Just think on it. How many, well, let's just make it simple. How many minutes did you spend in this book this week? Hmm. See, if you're going to prepare to see God, you've got to get in the book. That's how he speaks today. Let me ask you, how, how many people did you tell about Jesus this week? Oh, well, I, and we're going to talk about that next. I, I, I can't talk like that. Well, we're going to find out you can. It's not a deal that you can't. It's a deal that you won't. Don't be lazy. Man, get active. We were in Belize many years ago uh, building a, uh, uh, a worship center up in the Indian territory there. We were sitting in the chief's village. And I just asked him, I said, what, what is, as time progresses, what, what's the worst thing y'all have to deal with? And I was thinking about it, it was a, the well. My soul, they were up on a hill, and there was probably a 100-foot drop down there. Uh, and the well was at the bottom and they had an old pump where you could pump it up, you know, and they had the jugs they carried on their heads and all that stuff. I was thinking, he'd say, our water problem's a big problem or whatever. You know what he told me? He said, the biggest problem we've had in this Indian village is when electricity came to town. He said, used to be nobody had anything to do them. At night, we'd all gather together and have praise sessions and sing and praise the Lord and all. But now, and I want to tell you, if you've ever been over there in those uh, foreign countries like that, they ain't got nothing. But every one of them got a satellite television. <laughs> CNN makes sure of that. That's how they stay number one. You, you put that television over there. Now, I don't think that's our problem in America. We, we, we went by that problem a long time ago. I think our biggest problem in America is lazy boy recliners. <laughs> you go home, sit down, and, and listen, I used to have to crank it. Mm, it hurt your arm. I don't even have to crank it anymore. I got a button I push. <laughs> you push that button, it, and you're done. You're done. Don't ever get in that recliner. Don't do it. Hey, get active for the Lord. Do something for the Lord. And then Moses not only was active, but Moses became a nobody. I mean, the, the deal today is everybody wants to use young people, bright young people. Us old people, you know, we're kind of doomed. Well, God didn't use Moses when he was 40. God used Moses when he was 80. And I think what God is telling Moses is, Moses, you're not going to see me sitting here at Pharaoh's temple in the table. You're too busy keeping up with who you're supposed to be. You, you, you've got to be somebody. You're keeping up with the Joneses. You're in the Pharaoh's court. You're important. You, you're doing some things. You're, you're busy with everything. You see, you're not going to see me in Pharaoh's temple. You're going to see me on the backside of the desert. What does that mean for us? I think that means we're not going to see God on Interstate 20. It's going to be some oil top road, turns into gravel, goes through a cattle guard into dirt, and there God will be. I, 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 the height of Moses' career wasn't when everybody knew him. They all knew him up to 40 years old. 
He was the chair, child, fair-weather child in the court of Pharaoh. Everybody knew Moses. But the height of his career was not when everybody knew him. The height of his career was when nobody knew him. Nobody. He was active. He became a, a nobody. And then let me give you something. That's, it, you're going to say that's negative. It's negative context. All right now I can tell you it's negative. But I want to tell you there's something different. There's strength in being alone. I hear many times, preacher, I'm all alone. Nobody here with me. I'm all alone. I'm lonely. All by myself. Well, now let me tell you something. When you get all by yourself with God, you can figure out who God is. And you can figure out who you are. See, sometimes there's strength in being alone. It's, there's, it's one thing to just go with the crowd and everybody laughing and everybody happy and everything just great. But boy, when you get alone with God, you get to determine who God is. You get to see him for who he is. And then you see yourself. When it's God and I, I find out who I really am. I want to tell you, when, you tell, when somebody tells you they've been with God for two hours in prayer and they can walk across their you know strutting sitting down they lying they ain't been with God two hours in prayer you stay with God two hours and you you will crawl yourself out of the glory of God got to be some preparation preparation the second thing though in order to be on that journey with Moses there's got to be some a time when we stop giving excuses don't you just get tired of hearing excuses <laughs> I mean, it makes you want to spit sometimes. See, every time we realize that God wants us to do something, the first thing we all start doing is telling God why we can't do it. God says, I want you to give this. Oh, no, God, here's why I can't do it. I want you to teach. Oh, no, God, here's why I can't do that. Moses was no different. In, in chapter 4 of verse 10 was his first excuse there. Uh, the Bible says, Moses said unto the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Well, look, if he's looking for eloquent, there ain't nobody in East Texas going to get called. <laughs> he said, I'm not eloquent, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. I'm clumsy. I got all this baggage I'm carrying. God, you don't want to use me. I've got too many faults. I'm not talented enough. And, and God, you got the wrong guy. I saw a survey a couple of weeks ago, and it said the number one fear of Americans. And I thought it would be death, because most Americans fear death. But the article said, if, if take it for what it's worth, the number one fear of Americans is public speaking. Now, if I told you, hey, I want you to preach next Sunday morning, I'm not going to be here, what would your reaction be? Ooh, not my, oh. No, 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 not me. Now, there would be some of you who say, I'd love to. I'd, and those are the ones you ain't got to be listening to. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but we'd all come in here saying, ah, oh, not me, not me. God, get somebody else. I, I can't talk right. I, my words get all mixed up, and I, I'm clumsy with my tongue. And then the second excuse is found in chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered and said, but behold, they'll not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they'll say, the Lord hath not appeared to thee. He said, what if they don't believe me? Hey, I think God is saying, uh, th this is a, a catch-all thing here. It it's about people and what they think. See, that's why we don't want to surrender to God. 
Lord, if I surrendered to you, what would the people at my job think? Lord, if I surrendered to you, what, what would the people at school think? Oh, my goodness. I mean, they've known me as a free, free for all, you know, and you want me to go in and start living for God at school? You know, I mean, just bowing my head and pray. Lord, I pray. I just pray on the run. Nobody knows I'm praying. Huh? See, it's all about what others think. And, and, and I want to tell you, there are a lot of people in this congregation this morning, you're not doing what God called you to do because you're too worried thinking about what somebody else is going to think. Hey, Moses had the same problem. I've always told people many times when somebody come by, we'd be doing something, somebody would be doing something here at the church and somebody would come by and say, well, you know what, if you did this and you just stop and say, well, come on over here, brother, and show me how to do that. They'll turn right around and leave. They ain't going to stay long. They ain't going to stay long. Then that third excuse is found in verse 11 of chapter 3. He said, Moses said unto God, who am I? that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Well, who are you, Moses? You're the one who spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court. I mean, you know where every toilet is. You know where every custodian closet is. You know where every room is in that whole thing there. You are, yeah, you should be the one to go over there. But then God comes back and says, look, that, that's, that's false humility there. That's that false humility excuse. Uh, we, we think, God's going to buy this one. I'm not spiritual enough. Now, I want you to listen to me. God gets all the glory, amen? He deserves it, and he gets it. Evangelist Jim Walsh straightened me out on this probably 30 years ago. We were in a revival down south, and he said, Charlie, I want to thank you for running these buses and having these people here. And I said, oh, Brother Jim, you know, it's all God. It's all God. And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, you mean to tell me God put that key in that bus and turned that thing? Now listen to me. You can say thank you. If God's blessed you with the talent, don't you give some false humility. Well, it's not me. Thank God he used you. I mean, I, 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 I'm not saying don't become some pious jerk. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if God has blessed you and people are blessed, praise the Lord. Because everybody can't sing. I've had people come up before and tell me, Brother Aaron won't let me sing. There's a reason for that. <laughs> hey, if God's blessed you, though, don't be false hum humility about that. Praise the Lord for that. And thank him for the blessings that he's given you. It's just false humility. Moses is saying, who am I? And God's saying, Moses, it ain't no matter who you are. What matters is who I am. And he said, you tell him I am sent you. Mm. Who am I? Then that fourth excuse is in chapter 4, verse 13. I believe it is. 13, yes. And he said, oh, my Lord. Send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. What he's saying is, Moses, uh, God, send somebody else. I, I, I'm going to sit this one out, Lord. <laughs> I'm going to sit this one out. We, we've, uh, I was over at Mason Creek earlier. This church here has been a small church. 
started out under a shade tree, a tent revival over in South Longview. Uh, we've been, there were 50 people here 17 years ago. It's still small. And then we've grown to medium, and then we've gone to kind of medium-large. And now they consider us large. I really don't consider us large. I like a large church. A large church can do an impact on people. It's one thing to have two or three people, uh, but it's something else to have uh, 500 people. And uh, we're able to minister more. But now there's only one problem with a large church. It's easy to hide in. Some of y'all need to really move out to Mason Creek because you've been hiding here for four or five years. Out at Mason Creek, we're small enough, we know exactly who you are. We know where your seat is, where you're supposed to be sitting, and if you ain't there, somebody calls to say, why, why wasn't you here? It's easy to hide in a large church. I'm thankful that you're not the hiding kind of people. Uh, some of, many of you are new. A couple of three years ago, I guess maybe four years ago now, we started praying about this children's building. That thing ran up two and a half, three million dollars in there in that avenue there. We thought, there's no way we can do that. There's no way. Do you know because of your faithfulness and the building for eternity and the leadership of that team and your faithfulness and your contribution, we now owe less than $725,000 on that building? Now, I say that because some of you who are new here, <laughs> amen, some of you who are new here, like Chet, you, you need to get involved in that. It's called BFE, BFE. Mark that envelope, BFE. I'm thankful. Let me tell you, there's a lot of churches you go to who are begging people to, to please come help. Please come help. We got a full crew over here helping in children's church and preschool ministries right now. And they're not involved in the choir. So you can't be in everything. I, I, Lord, I'm just going to sit this one out. No, it's not time. And I want to tell you something right now, too. You old people, listen to me. If I hear one more of you say, let the young people do it, I'm going to knock the daylights out of you. <laughs> I don't want to let the young people do it. I want to do it. I want you to do it. Moses was 80 years old when God said, I'll use you. Hey, there's, there's enough work for everybody to do. Plenty of work. Well, let me, let, let me get this last thing and I'm through. We got to Give God what we're holding on to. I don't have time to go through all of it, but you know the story. God says, Moses, what's that in your hand? I don't have anything in my hand. Yeah, what's that in your hand? Well, it's my stick. You know, you'd be surprised how many old people have a stick that they really love. <laughs> Amen? They walk and they walk around with it, knock dogs off and cats and stuff like that, you know. They love hey, Moses got this stick. God says, what's that in your hand? Well, Lord, I've given you everything else. All I've got is one little old temperamental stick left. He said, throw it down. God, please, throw it down. Of course, he threw it down. Remember what happened? It came a snake. Now, Moses has got good sense because the Bible says he left. <laughs> we, we don't know. I mean, that's what happens when I see a snake. I leave and I run up to the house and say, hey, honey, go down there and get the hoe. There's a snake down there. <laughs> Kill that thing. <laughs> Amen? We don't know if he, how long he stayed gone. The Bible doesn't say that, but he does come back. And Lord have mercy, help him. 
God said, pick him up by the tail. And he reached down, <laughs> he reached down and picked that snake up by the tail. And then it became the rod again. Except it wasn't just any ordinary rod. It was going to be the rod that touched the Nile River that turned it to blood. It was going to be the rod that when he lifted it up, parted the Red Sea, and the Israelites went through on dry ground, and the Egyptian army was destroyed. It was going to be the rod that he used to strike the rock, and the water flowed out. It was going to be the, the, the man, it was used over and over and over again. I don't know who wrote this and who said this, but I loved it. Jesus hid in a book is not worth a second look. Jesus buried in a creed is a helpless Christ indeed. But Jesus in the lives and hearts of men shows his saving power again. This world is looking for an example of the power of God. It's not that the bush is not on fire. It's not that God's not here. It's that we're so busy on all of our stuff that we don't stop and turn aside and say, wow, let me just stop and see what God's doing. 1996, there was a group climbing Mount Everest. Many had climbed it before. Many people had lost their lives at Mount Everest before. This group had made it to the top. They were descending back down. And uh, it was minus 60 degrees. They had depletion of oxygen. And a guy by the name of Bank Weathers, Banks Weathers, just dropped. Nobody, everybody was depleted of oxygen. Nobody could help him. One man went over there and actually chiseled ice away from his face and said he's not going to make it. But nobody had the strength to help him. They went on back down the mountain a little bit further for that night. In a little while, here comes Banks Weather walking into the camp. Wow, a miracle. The same thing happened the next day. The guy says he's not going to make it. And here he comes. He made it. Wow. And when, it, when they've got down to the bottom, one of the one of the newspaper men asked one of the guys, you know, the miracle after miracle with Banks Weather, how did he do that? He said, all I can tell you is he was left for dead, but he came back to life. Wow, what a testimony. Let, let, me, let me give you one bigger than that. 2,000 years ago, they nailed our Savior to a cross, bleeding spear in his side now listen to me he wasn't almost dead he was dead and they put him in a borrowed tomb and three days later he arose now that's all great that's all good you say preacher what does that mean for me today listen to me it means he's still alive today the same God who took the rod of Moses is the same God who will use what you've got in your hand. Now hear me before we leave. Some of you are holding on to business. Some of you are holding on to reputation. 
Some of you are holding on to, to money, possessions. Now listen, listen to me. I don't care what you're holding on to and how good it is. The longer you hold on to it, the more it will control you. And God is saying this morning, give it to me. Don't you think God can handle your family? I mean, don't you think God can handle your business? Don't you think God can handle your reputation? I mean, he's the one that slung the stars into space and the moon and the sun, and he's got everything working just right. He's the one that makes your heart beat so many times. Listen, when you start, you got a heart problem, and you start reading about the human heart, it'll freak you out. That thing can't be working that much. It, you don't even oil it. That's why I eat a lot of bacon. I won't get that grease in there and kind of <laughs> firm it up, you know, oil it along. I want to tell you this morning, whatever you're clinging on to, God says, give it to me. He'll do one of two things. He'll take it and take all the foolishness and ego and selfishness out of it and give it back to you to use for his glory. Or he may just take it away, period, and say, you ain't got no business with it. Father, would you move in this place this morning? God, we know you're here. <laughs> we, we, we understand that. Lord, we understand you want your glory to fall. And we're all here. But, oh, dear Lord, would you help us to stop and turn aside and say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? What are you teaching me this morning? God, have your way in the hearts of men, women, and children this morning. Some need to be saved. Some need to join this church. Others may need to come to this altar. Lord, would you just have your way in every life that's in this place? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Would you stand?